This is the Coaching for Pastors podcast, episode 141. Hey, Pastor, thanks for joining me today. We've got a few minutes, so let's get right to it. I remember 20 years ago when Andy Stanley had a message where he taught only do what only you can do. In fact, I remember being in the workout room at the church that I was serving in at the time. It was early in the morning. I was by myself, and I had this CD of Andy Stanley's that I was going to put into the player and listen to while I worked out. And that was the message. And I think I listened to it a couple mornings in a row. Only do what only you can do. I heard him talking about that just within the past couple of months. And I remember him saying, now, nobody can ever achieve that 100%. But it's a great aspirational goal. It's something to aspire to, to only do what only you can do. I think the most important aspect of that is that we allow our people to serve and that we don't hog all the ministry opportunities. But we allow other people to do what they can do and that we don't try to do the things that we're not good at. But when we hog all of the ministry opportunities and we control the agenda and try to control the process and try to control the outcomes, it's not going to go very well for our organization or our church, and it's going to result in stress, overwhelm, and burnout for us. So that is a great thing to aspire to, to only do what only we can do, because the more we engage others in the work of the ministry, the more we avoid becoming overwhelmed in our church. That's just a fact. We see that throughout the scriptures. We see Jesus do that. When he wanted to feed the 5,000, what did he do? He set his disciples to go out and arrange the people in groups of 100 and in groups of 50. His disciples went out. He passed the food out to them, and they served the food to the 5,000 people. And I'm sure that in those groups of 50 and 100, the disciples had people that were helping them, group leaders as well. They spread the work of the ministry out, and it made it possible. What did Jesus do? He did what only he could do, right? What, did, what was it that only he could do? He multiplied. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. He did the miracle, but he didn't put the food in everybody's hands because he didn't have to do that. He wasn't the only one that could do that. Other people could do that. He did what only he could do. And it's interesting, as you read through the Gospels and you read through the stories of Jesus and in his, in his involvement with people, you see Jesus doing what only Jesus could do. And then what other people could do, then he let them do it. He commissioned them to do it. You think about the 70 that he sent out two by two, and he told them to go into the homes, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he told them, he trained them how to share the good news of the kingdom with them and what to do if they accepted, and what to do if they didn't. And then they came back, and they reported, and they said, this is what happened. They were, they were excited. They were concerned in some areas, and they were excited in other areas. You see Paul at the end of his letters, as he writes, say hello to this one, and greet that one, and on and on with name after name. Why? Because Paul had a team he had a whole huge team of trained missionaries and church planners and church workers and leaders and elders, etc., that were out there doing the work that he couldn't do. But what did Paul do? Paul did only what Paul could do. 
and Paul went from town to town. There were some towns he never got to, like Colossae. He wrote to the believers in Colossae, but he never actually got there by all accounts. But he had people that listened to him, that learned from him, that took the gospel back to their communities, and they did the things that Paul could not do. They got to the places where Paul could not go. Now, as you look at your ministry, as you look at your church, what are the things that you're doing that you don't really have to do? Now, I didn't say they didn't have to be done, but what I said was that you don't have to do them because there's actually other people in your church who are perfectly capable of doing those things. There you go again. Get a paper and pencil and write a list. Make a list of the things that you're doing that you don't actually have to do because other people can do that. And one by one, find people, train them, and then employ them in that ministry. Send them, commission them to do that particular part of your ministry. And you try to stay focused on only doing what only you can do. Because when we approach overwhelm and stress and burnout, it's usually when we're doing the things that other people should be doing, plus the things that only we can do. And so we're doing way too much, but we've got to spread that workout. So pastor, I encourage you to try to aspire to that principle of only doing what only you can do. Listen, we don't need any more burned out pastors. We don't need any more pastors that, that, that flame out ethically or financially or morally or relationally. We don't want pastors that, like, right now they're actually not just leaving ministry, but they're actually pastors who are leaving the faith. We don't need that anymore. So I've given you now two weeks, two weeks, 10 days of things that will cause burnout and stress and overwhelm in your life as a pastor and also a whole bunch of ways that you can mitigate against that and you can avoid it. So, Pastor, if you need to go back through these last 10 episodes and listen once again, man, I encourage you to do it because there are ways for you to avoid stress and burnout and overwhelm, and you need to be diligent about walking in those paths and avoiding all these things because it is avoidable. It is avoidable. Pastor, stress is inevitable, but burnout is not. Overwhelm is inevitable, but burnout is not. Defeat and failure are inevitable, but crashing and burning are not. And if we were wise, oftentimes we learn these things We learn these things. We're like crash test dummies. You learn how the stuff works when you crash the car into the brick wall, right? You see how well the airbags work, and you see how well the the crash test dummy performs. What kind of a safety rating do we want to put on this car, and how much will somebody be protected? You need to up the safety rating on yourself and your ministry, and you can do that. You can get a five-star crash test rating, five-star safety rating by engaging in these preventatives that I've shared with you. I really enjoyed doing this, and we're going to get back to you tomorrow on the weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast, and then I'll see you again Monday. I hope you have a great weekend.